see this moment as initiation and a trauma at the same time to see the the polarity the the extreme light and the extreme dark that's happening right now hi welcome to what could possibly go right a project of post carbon institute we interview cultural scouts to help us see more clearly so we can act more courageously i'm vicky robin your host today we're with almer lada who's a political strategist writer, activist, and board member at Culture Hacks Labs. His work focuses on the intersection of political organizing, systems thinking, structural change, and narrative work. He was the co-founder and executive director of The Rules, a global network of activists, organizers, designers, uh, coders, researchers, writers, and others focused on changing the rules that create inequality, poverty, and climate change. Alner comes from a Sufi lineage and writes about the crossroads of politics and spirituality in these troubled times. He is a co-founder of Tierra Valiente, a post-capitalist community and healing center in the jungles of Northern Costa Rica. Hold on to your hats and switch on your systems thinking minds and culture hacking for a rich ride through Alner's world of thought. Enjoy. So, Alner, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. You are a perfect person to consider this question of uh, what could possibly go right in the context of the appearance in this moment of so much going wrong. And yet, in what way is what is going wrong now a doorway, not theoretically, but in reality, what are you seeing? as a doorway into some possibility of a, a healing and healthy and whole and abundant way that we could inhabit this very same planet. So in your view, in this moment, what could possibly go right? Yeah, thank you for the, the question, Vicki. And it's a, it's a beautiful question. And uh, when, when I hear, the question, what could possibly go right? The, the first thing that comes to mind uh, when I think of a, a power lens or a, a system lens is right for whom? And also this notion of the binary between right and wrong. Um, and the word possibly is, is also, uh, you know, prominent, right? Because I, I think, the, and not that that's in, your intention of the question, but um, in our belief that somehow the pandemic or the climate crisis or um, the impending financial recession is somehow uh, a disruption on the arrow of progress, the, the way things were supposed to be, you know, those, those dangerous few words, the way things were supposed to be. And I, I think what this moment is doing for us, this civilizational crossroads, is the dissolution of, of, of these assumptions, right? Actually starting to understand right for, for whom, starting to um, sort of break down the idea of, of a binary between right and wrong. That in, in some way we're being initiated into non-dualistic thought to hold multiple seemingly contradictory perspectives at the same time, uh, to, to see this moment as, uh, an initiation uh, and a trauma 
you know, at the same time to see the, the polarity, the, the extreme light and the extreme dark that's happening right now. That th this is not a, you know, as the QAnon conspiracy theorists want to believe a battle of good versus uh, dark and, and good is winning. And, you know, th those are all part of that old narrative that we're cultivating right now, actually uh, what, what John Keats called a negative capability. Uh, the willingness to embrace uncertainty, to, to live in the mystery, to be at peace with the ambiguity. And that's cultivating a more resilient character for us. Uh, and, and I think also what it's doing is uh, it's allowing us to reevaluate our relationship with progress. And, and progress itself is, is it, it's a complex, right? It's, it's all of these thought forms together, Western hubris, tech utopianism, anthropocentric arrogance, uh, the belief that somehow a microwave in every house is, is progress, right? It's worth all the destruction. Uh, it's, that type of technological progress in our current story has more value than ancient cultures and languages, old growth forests, uh, that deep symbiotic relationship with the more than human world when you and I were talking, Vicky, earlier, I was talking about Stephen Jenkinson, this teacher on death and dying, where he talks about um, uh, hope by definition is inherently hostile to the present moment. And so what this moment is doing is it's really allowing us to deepen into the felt immediacy of, of now with all of, all of the complexity and, and also creating a sense of humility that maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe uh, science is the floor of understanding rather than the ceiling of understanding. That the, the human lens is just one lens on an intricate web of consciousness. And that's an important place for us to start as a young civilization, to, to sort of wake up to that possibility that um, the earth is not our dominion that uh, we are not made in God's image, but it's much more complex than that, that there's a, a, a more uh, fractal interdependent reality at play here, that we are in dialogue with the living animate planet. Um, and this also allows us, this, this is almost like a, the, the, the heliocentric worldview sort of flip that's happening, right? We're going from a, a human centric to an omnicentric universe. And what it's allowing us to do is also to see the interconnected nature of all of our problems. That, you know, COVID, is, uh, I, there's this, this language that's been going around of the great equalizer. And, and of course, it's, it's not in some ways, right? It's exasperating the inequalities that already exist. But it's showing to us that you can't have uh, a community in which some people have access to healthcare and some don't where some are cordoned off in their golden gates and uh, you know, some are left in, in, uh, in impoverishment. That, that, that world that we lived in created climate change, created inequality, created uh, species extinction, create, and will create more and more pandemics as we encroach on the natural world. That we have to find our right relationship, our our placement within this broader uh, symphony of life. But also that we have to fundamentally rethink our economic operating system, right? That you, you can't 
have a globalized system of extraction because it has no resilience. When a few people are holding all of that power, when our food systems are dependent on these globalized supply chains and corporate monopolies and power elites, there is no resilience in that system. And so this is the, the beginning of the beginning, you know, in, in, in that sense. Um, and I think for, for all those reasons, it's a, it's, a really, it's a really powerful moment of both self-reflection and uh, sort of civilizational level reflection. And I think it's really a time that's urging us to be good students of our culture, to really understand the impoverishments of our time, to understand the, the oxygen we breathe, which is neoliberal capitalism. You know, every aspect of our lives has been mediated by debt-based capital, by a, a sort of growth-dependent culture that is completely dependent on extractives and fossil fuels. And so people who saw themselves as apolitical or that's something that doesn't interest me or what have you are starting to see that there is no such thing as apolitical. We are all consuming the dominant ideology and that we have to be able to step back from that dominant ideology. We have to be able to um, both, not just critique it and dissect it, but to embody the values we want to live. And so it requires understanding the, the values that are dominant right now. And I, I, I see the system as a, a sort of complex adaptive evolutionary system. It's alive. You know, it's the greatest Frankenstein we've ever created, the, the market-based system. It's, it's um, artificial intelligence of its own. And what it does is it, uh, it's the opposite of the merit system. It, it, it rewards those who best serve its logic and pulls them to the top. So people who reflect the values of short-termism, of greed, of selfishness, of psychosis, uh, and other life-denying tendencies, they get rewarded by this system. And so this is the moment for us to say, well, what do we actually stand for? Not just what we stand, what we stand against, but also what do we want to live for? And what are those values? And the, we're seeing it emerge, right? From mutual aid networks, solidarity networks, a sort of deeper relationship with nature, a deeper understanding of systems thinking. These sort of possibilities are emerging and, and with it also a post-capitalist reality is emerging because whatever we create after this is, has to be born out of both our understanding of what went wrong as well as our vision for where we want to go. And that's required of all of us. This is not the job of activists. It's not the job of a few smart people in a room. We've seen where that model takes us. This is, has to be a, a sort of a deeper democracy, a deliberative uh, process where, where we, we, we're sort of being initiated into, into being citizens of our times. And none of us are outside of the system. And all of us have to have a say because we've inherited a story in a system that doesn't serve the majority of humans, yet alone uh, the more than human world. And, and that's really the moment we're at. Yeah, wow. There's so much in there. I'm gonna pull some threads, okay? Mm, please, yeah. Um, uh, several things occur to me. One is that um, a while ago, I started getting really irritated and somebody would say, we this and we that. And I would say like, who is the we? Who are you talking about? 
because I feel in my experience, even the word we is a personal construct. It's like I made up something called we. <laughs> is it like Vicki and Ulner? Uh, you know, is that the we? Who's the we we're talking to? Who's the we we're talking from? I, I just think it's to not despair of that there is a possibility of a coherence for humanity, maybe post the knothole, that we're leaving an old coherence where we understood we and we're going through something that's a that's sort of breaking up the signal which is perfect because we've been dealing with that and to, you know um and so i just find that interesting is that when you use the word we or when i use the word we we and us there is there is part an observation of things that are happening from my point of view. And there's an aspiration. There's a, mm. this is the kind of we I hope for. And I am even in these times when the signal is breaking apart so intensely mm. now um, where just even the word and <laughs> could have different meanings for different people. So um, I guess that's, that's just one observation that I want to put on the table. If I could just put a couple more in. You say that we're a young civilization, and I think it's almost like that is, that's a frame that I've heard some people talking about, that we're, it's not a question of progress, is in this arrow of progress, of like domination but it's that we're a learning species, that we have a capacity to learn and to, to mix, match, create together. It's, it's gonna be sort of hodgepodge. The truth is gonna come out of places you don't least expect it and the people you count on for truth aren't gonna have it. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's um, and so that's, that frame says to me that it's about maturation, that we're in a, a process of maturation and a lot of the things that you're singling out are um, as as our habits of mind and, and behavior are really just simply immature like I want that I'm gonna take it you know it's like not having a sense not, not being an adult so I just throw those two things on the table and I'm sure you're gonna mm -hmm. make something of them <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that to start with the we, it's, you know, in, in some ways, um, identity is the problem, right? And, uh, you know, in the Sufi tradition, for example, we, we talk about the universal identity as the primary identity, you know, it's the interbeing ethic. And then the secondary identity is this individual body I've incarnated in to have this experience. And in, in the dominant culture, of course, it's completely the other way around. The, the self is the prime unit, right? This is kind of the logic of, of um, in, in some ways, like the post-Hellenic world till now, and, and definitely reified by the Enlightenment and strengthened by, by that logic, where we are self-maximizing units. And so both the idea of, of, of me and, and myself and my own ego and my own identity is, is problematic to the process. And then the idea of, of, of we, 
then also becomes problematic in the sense that we we're now speaking for others and but and and yet you're alluding to something where we there there is an innate desire a human desire to 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 take responsibility for uh what we have done as a species and what we're going as a species and um that does require some shared dialogue and shared purpose and shared direction and and I, I think back to um, to one of Gandhi's lines where somebody asked him uh, on a Monday, which was his silent day, uh, a question, and he he didn't answer. And on a blank piece of paper nearby, he wrote, uh, "My life is my message." And in some ways, oh, I, I I love that story, but it, that's kind of the old model, right? Because it's it's still me as individual unit projecting out to the world uh, of being the change. But what we're starting to understand is that we're highly contextual beings, right? That's what 30 years of social science has taught us. In any given context, humans can behave in myriad of ways. And so you, you put somebody in a context where somebody in a, in a white lab coat tells them to shock someone to or near death, they will do it the majority of the time. Um, if you know the Good Samaritan studies, when uh, somebody who's about to give a talk on the Good Samaritan and is sort of primed with these values, if they're told they're late for that talk, they'll walk by a bleeding person on their way, right? And and you know all sorts of biases that uh, we're starting to understand. And so we're these highly contextual beings, and in some ways, what we need to do is to create a set of rules and a context and a structure and a societal framework that rewards. The, the best aspects of ourselves. And, and that's where the, the, both this idea of identity and being a young species comes into play. You know, we, this current model, this market-based fundamentalism, capitalist democracy, capitalist modernity, whatever you want to call it, is just one sort of idea on the shelf of ideas. And contextually, it's bringing out the worst aspects of humanity. So I could do all the internal work I want and, and, and be Gandhi. And of, of course, modern India is a product of Gandhi because neoliberalism and individual self-work work really well together. It's your fault, your problem, your spiritual development. But actually, we need to create a cultural context in which we, we are elevating the best aspects of humanity, where we are creating a, um, a, a container for human evolution to, to flourish. And, and that's what we're, we're sort of grasping at, the beginnings of that in some ways. And whether we get there or not, you know, that's even up for question right now, right? We, we have, as we were talking about earlier, like we're in this deep moment of bifurcation and polarization. And we don't know how this race is gonna, you know, um, end up, even if we'll have that possibility for maturity. Yeah, so, oh man, this is so great. Every time you speak, it's like I, I see this, these branching uh, roads. Um, something you said evoked for me, and I, we're getting like sort of up in the heavens here, but I think heaven is really a great place to be. Um, the, the stretching oneself, or, you know, your little, what, what you can consider yourself responsible for, the thing that you are, stretching yourself to um, to feel into, to intuit 
that I am a, a sort of a, a, a cell in the eye of God. You know, I am, I am part of, of that which God sees through in God's creation. Just to use God language, which most of my mm -hmm, friends mm -hmm. don't enjoy, but I like it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so with that imagination, not even like declaring I'm in, the, I'm the eyeball or I'm the air, you know, I'm the nose hair or whatever, but you know, with that imagination, what we're all doing, what this truly is, there is some collective effort to understand where we are and what we're up to. You know, <laughs> there's some presumption that we understand this, you know, that humanity understands itself, but as you're saying, there's just a gloss of modernity, modernity on, a, on a flow of historical experience. And so there is this effort. Um, it's like omnicentric and multicentric. There's an effort. They're like, <laughs> what's going on? Who, who, who is the we is not a sassy question to challenge somebody else. It's really the question that we we hold is who is the we it's mm -hmm. like there's something in that which um it provides a way of seeing this for me that is both humble like i'm just a little i'm just a little cell back there on the cornea you know it's just both humble but it's also like a call to greatness if you will of like, I'm going to show up for this because if I'm like a little cell in the cornea of the eye of God, you know, that's a pretty big job, that's you know, and I job. need to actually be interconnected with all the other little cells because we are forming a picture. We are forming together a picture of who we are. And that's a very different sense. Just what you gave me the, right now is a very different sense of our specific current dilemma and the piece of the dilemma that I cannot let go of. I mean, I can formulate this eye of God metaphor, but it's, and maybe you can help me and maybe this will, will wind up our interview. Um, is my heart breaks for the people who are suffering and I can't get over that. I can't, I can't wave. I, I just, so there's a part of me that is expanding into this non-dual reality. And another part of me is just like, <laughs> I just want to, I just want to help. I want to intervene someplace in this, the desire to intervene, mm -hmm. to prevent mm -hmm. suffering. And maybe the suffering mm -hmm. is necessary. I don't know. Um, maybe it's, mm -hmm. but it's just, um, there's a, the equation of modernity has left a huge remainder of multiple human beings and species innocence that are gonna like just like be swept off the game board and so how do you i guess that would be my last question how do you reconcile this sort of very large uh initiation into non-duality consciousness mm -hmm. and the the compat the sort of the specific compassion for the specific suffering of specific people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no it, it, this is kind of this is the crux of it right this is the crux of uh being an empathetic being in the kali yuga you know to have incarnated in in the dark ages of of humanity um and 
you know, to go back to this idea of context, right? We, we look at our context for 99% of human history, we were hunter-gatherers. And uh, we were in, in some ways living in the bosom of the mother and in deep relationship and in trust and reverence. And, and this, this period that we have now, this 5,000 year blip that we call modernity, um, is the, the, the first time we have the ability to be in self-reflection, right? Where we, we're not in the immediacy of hand to mouth, at least, uh, uh, you know, a small percentage of human beings. And th there's a moral reason, I think, why we, we need to create a world where, uh, imagine uh, 8 billion humans had access to all of the things we have access to as people who are... Uh, beneficiaries of, of, of the Western way of living. We would have a creative spiritual renaissance on this planet. And it's why the, the sort of moral imperative is to create a structure in a system where that type of equity and that type of fairness and that type of justice allows uh, human potentiality and more than human potentiality, really the potentiality of life to, to coexist, to create whatever is gonna come next. And, you know, human beings from a billion years from now will be as different to us as we are from single cell amoebas. And, and that's our responsibility in some ways is not to ourselves or to our bloodlines, but it's to, to life itself. And the, the holding this contradiction and not reconciling it, like feeling the deep pain and grief of other people's suffering makes us more human and makes us more able to be, you know, response, response able, right? And, and, and to situate our place within that privilege and within even the identity and, you know, the, the racialized hierarchy and the gender hierarchy and the capitalist hierarchy and all of those things is part of the spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. we, we have to understand the cultural context we're in and understand that that cultural context being born into a broken world into a broken culture is part of our soul's mission here on some level as well and to not amputate those feelings but to, to feel them to nourish our ability to do work in the world the, i don't see the point of spirituality uh, for some kind of inner enlightenment how could that be as you know as it, you were saying earlier this idea of sort of fractal consciousness that that you know god is that which is becoming uh you know in sufism we say allah is a metaphor for the universe becoming self-aware and and if that's the case then we have this responsibility to understand what's happening in our moment of incarnation to do everything we can within our privilege and our power to contribute to that and to be of service and i think holding that vision it doesn't allow me to, let's say, reconcile that tension, but it allows me to situate that tension within a deeper mission, if you will. Perfect. Even though there isn't perfection. But yeah. uh, no, that, yeah. uh, that's just perfect. There's a perfect jewel placed in a velvet cushion and it <laughs> ends our conversation. And I mm. love that once we talked about our feelings for our fellow human beings, you brought up the moral imperative mm -hmm. of understand, you know, of 
understanding that we've incarnated at this time. Mm -hmm. And it's our responsibility to do all we can to deliver life forward as has been all of life's responsibility for all time. So mm -hmm. I just, um, this has just been utterly delicious. Thank you. Mm, yeah, beautiful to talk to you and spend time and get to know you, Vicki. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review, which will help this hopeful message get out to more people. And check out the Post Carbon Institute website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks to all our donors for their support. Thanks also to Cher Miller, Amy Boringrud, and Clara Winter at Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. 